0: This is Limitless Spirit, a practical, inspirational, and thought-provoking weekly podcast about the impact of faith and Christian identity in today's world. And now here's your host, champion of Jesus and people who love Him, world traveler and co-founder of World Missions Alliance, Helen Todd.
1: Welcome to Episode 16 of the Limitless Spirit Podcast. Within days, many states are going to reopen their economies and allow people to return back to their normal pace of life. But the question remains, are we ready? In this episode, we continue the conversation with Dr. Richard Bartlett, a physician from Odessa, Texas, who is fighting this battle with COVID-19 on the front lines. We will talk uh, with uh, Dr. Bartlett about the importance of placing the decision on the type of treatment necessary for the patients in the office of a physician rather than politicians. We will discuss the treatment that god revealed to him in a dream and he has used this treatment successfully on many of his patients uh, we will discuss the problems with the uh, putting with putting our hope in the development of a potential vaccine and how can we move forward with this uh, pandemic without fear hello richard uh, welcome again on the limitless spirit podcast thank you helen so um, last, uh, in our last episode, uh, you uh, started telling a story of uh, a couple that uh, you treated who were um, both diagnosed with COVID-19 but too late and to the point that the wife, who had a pre-existing asthma condition, had to be hospitalized and ended up in a critical condition.
0: Yes, and so we lear- I have learned a lot that is contrary to what the CDC protocols and recommendations are through uh, practical experience with patients, and this is a case in point. This lady ended up on a ventilator and was in the hospital, in the ICU on a ventilator for nine days, Um, but to the surprise of the the doctors and nurses, she did not have the evidence of damage from a cytokine storm, the inflammatory process that's normally started in the lungs and then affects the whole body causing damage to the kidneys and the heart. She didn't have evidence of those problems.
1: And what this was is because different of with this. her
0: was she was started on inhaled steroids uh, early, which is the first line preventive recommended treatment for asthma. The first maintenance thing, most important maintenance thing you can do to protect someone from having an asthma attack or death from an asthma attack is inhaled steroids where corticosteroids, which are anti-inflammatory, are in the lung tissue. And they're anti-inflammatory. They, make the, they stabilize the cell membranes um, and they make it harder for infl- inflammatory chemicals to be released uh, in the tissue where the steroid is. And so it's not going total body. It's just concentrated right where you need it. COVID-19 is, an, is a disease where you have a virus trying to trigger an inflammatory process to damage the whole body, but the source of the inflammation starts in the lungs. And so I had started her on inhaled steroids, which is totally appropriate for her because she has underlying asthma. I believe that is why uh, they were shocked to see that she does not have damaged total body from uh, an inflammatory process attacking... All her organs.
1: And so did she, you start uh, treating her uh, with these steroids before she was hospitalized?
0: Yes, I started that, but because she had underlying asthma uh, and this is a respiratory infection, she ended up having to be put in the hospital. And so, and then being on a ventilator for a while, but she didn't have all the damage that is being reported on other patients with COVID 19 that are on a ventilator. So, After that, now she's total recovery, symptom-free at this point, but she went home and her and her husband have three children that live in the house with her. Another recommendation from the CDC, this is their criteria that they've set for us to follow, is that uh, if someone is is suspected of being a carrier of COVID-19, if they'll stay in self-isolation for 14 days that's the magic number that they came up with. 14 days and no symptoms, then they can be deemed uh, disease-free, uh, not contagious, not a risk to society, and they, can, they are therefore released. Well, the, these three children were in the, hosp- in the house for 30 days with these, with these parents, one of which was, had, was in the hospital in the ICU on a ventilator, and both of the parents were positive. Uh, carriers. So these children never had symptoms. The parents were told by the county health department that your children, we're not going to ch- test your, par- your children because your children have been symptom free. And the CDC criteria says that all we have to do and how we make this decision is we just wait 14 days without symptoms so they can go out in the public. I, uh, I talked to the parents and we decided together that the children should be tested. Two of the parent, children tested positive, meaning they were contagious and they were uh, a, a risk to other people. They were symptom-free, which is wonderful, but they were contagious. So that uh, was a game. The when the that was a game changer for our local county health department because when they found out that they told they told the parents, we don't know what to do. We didn't know this could happen. Um, I'm going to have to check with the, our authorities, the people that are above us and see what we need to do. Well, now the health this one county health department in the United States has decided that they're going to test everybody uh, that tests that that has been in close contact and that's very close contact for thirty days in house with two people that were sick with symptoms and tested positive, they're going to test everybody to make sure they're symptom-free. So So that's a policy change on a local level as a result of what we've uncovered.
1: That is wonderful. Uh, So how do you sum up that divine strategy that God revealed to you in a dream?
0: Well, here's the summary of it. I understood uh, that uh, this is an, uh, this is a Respiratory viral infection that's, that hits the lungs, attacks, attaches to receptors in the lungs, and triggers an inflammatory process that, if unchecked, in some people will lead to multi-organ failure really quickly. Not in everybody. Some people have no symptoms like these children. And so what I also understood was that you, you target, the, the treatment plan is to target the inflammatory process that starts in the lungs and to use an antibiotic that is uh, uh, able that that has antiviral activity, that is counterintuitive. Every doctor has been taught for decades that there, that antibiotics only work on bacteria, and if someone has a respiratory viral infection, it's bad medicine to give them antibiotics. But in the NIH. The, the, where Dr. Anthony Fauci is a leader, they had a study that came out uh, showing antiviral activity with an antibiotic, the ZPAC, azithromycin, that President Trump recommended. Interesting uh, that that uh, is actually antiviral against, uh, it's been proven in that article by the NIH to be antiviral against influenza A and B even against h uh, one uh, H1N1 the H1N1 swine flu of 09 it was tested against and had antiviral activity it has antiviral activity against other infections that could lead to death by uh, pneumonia including para influenza 1 2 3 and 4 it has uh, in in the research it has uh, evidence in this in this article of antiviral activity against respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, that kills children uh, from pneumonia. If they're under five months old, it's a high fatality rate, and it's a, it has antiviral activity against RSV A and B. It has our antiviral activity in the research. Over the last um, 20 years, there's antiviral activity that's been proven uh, to decrease the viral load for HIV-1. RSV, which is a herpes simplex virus, um, and so.
1: So why uh, do then- you think there is such opposition to this treatment that President uh, Trump mentioned mentioned repeatedly? Because you're not the only uh, doctor who is concerned about this political interference into medical treatment. There was a doctor um, Jeffrey Singer, and he's the Cato Institute fellow and a general surgeon as well, and he says uh, that medical treatments have traditionally been a private decision between patients and doctors, but now it seems like the politicians choose what the treatment should be. Why do you think that is happening?
0: Well, uh, I'm concerned there might be an agenda that's not medical, because uh, we have uh, 14 articles that can be readily found by uh, anyone on the internet. And some of those articles are in, they're in virology journals. They're, uh, some of them are uh, reported by the NIH uh, showing antiviral activity with these medic- medicines. When you look at the combination of, that President Trump recommended of uh, hydroxychloroquine, the, uh, malaria, it's used for malaria. It's used for rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. It decreases the uh, inflammatory uh, response. It modulates the immune system. It helps people not have symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis where the immune system is hyperactive and and attacks its own body. Um, That that medicine, along with the azithromycin antibiotic, have, uh, between the two of them, uh, evidence of of antiviral activity against 13 different viruses like dengue fever, Zika. Uh, These are things that we've been told are very deadly and dangerous. And uh, so there. this is all facts and scientific fact that seems to be um, downplayed or ignored uh, on purpose. It almost seems purposeful to me. And so uh, I look at what is being uh, recommended for the solution, and it's a, a potential vaccine uh a year and a half away.
1: And well, that's problematic too, because uh, I think Iceland discovered that the virus has over 290 mutations. So is it possible to discover a vaccine that will address all of these mutations?
0: That's exactly right. We mentioned that a moment ago in the last podcast that uh, there's uh, Iceland uncovered 243 mutations in a very short time. In just a matter of months, you've had that many mutations. That's a very rapid mutation rate. Uh, a parallel disease, uh, a parallel viral infection would be HIV. And with that, that disease, they have been trying to come up with a vaccine, throwing all the money and all the research and all the time of it at it for 40 years, and they still don't have a vaccine for it. Actually, the people that have failed to come up with an effective vaccine are Anthony Fauci and Dr. Burks and uh, people that they've been associated with. And so I appreciate their efforts, but it has failed. The latest failure was in South Africa about a month ago. And so I appreciate people trying to solve the problem, but this rapidly mutating virus uh, makes it very hard to ever come up with a vaccine. And I'd hate for us to wait 40 more years uh, before we find out we could never make a vaccine that was effective against Covid nineteen, SARS two, and we have had to shut down our country for all that time, holding our breath, being afraid of each other. the The reality is that uh, is a real possibility, and if you rush a vaccine to market, uh, you uh, you risk not uncovering what might be uh, sequelae, long term effects that are that are hazardous to people as a result of the treatment, whether it's an antibiotic, whether it's a Any other kind of medication, you need to make sure that it's safe. And that requires uh, trials with large populations. But you don't test it on people until you prove that it's safe with animals. And you don't put it in animals until you have evidence that it's worth doing that in the lab. There's an ethical way to put a vaccine or any treatment out to the masses. And if you rush it, which a year and a half is rushing a vaccine to market, then that's at great peril, and that's not a new idea. During the polio uh, race, uh, they were making a, 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 the polio race for a vaccine. Uh, I mentioned last time there's a book out that anybody could order called Polio, an American Story, where it documents the stats, facts, and figures of thousands of people who died because of the vol- polio vaccine itself, the vaccine, not from the polio disease or virus and that many more multitudes more were permanently damaged by the vaccine and so that's a that is a historical fact that's a part of our American medical history. That's That's a a possibility with a vaccine that's pushed out too early.
1: In the last episode, you mentioned that one of the big problems um, and obstacles in uh, really getting a real breakthrough in this situation is uh, insufficient testing, or or, uh, better say insufficient testing guidelines that were put out by CDC. So yesterday, President Trump released the new guidelines for testing, but um, apparently he's pretty much leaving it up to individual states to set up specific guidelines for testing. How do you think this is going to work?
0: Well, again, uh, whether you're dealing with cancer, where you detect early and you treat early, uh, or whether you're dealing with pneumonia or the flu, Let's talk about the flu, a respiratory viral infection, if you test early, and right now there's no obstacles to getting a flu test. If someone comes in and they think they have the flu, they can request a flu test. A doctor can get a flu test without any obstacles. But with with the uh, uh, COVID19 SARS2 test, there's a, there are still obstacles to getting the test, even though we have unlimited testing possible. We have obstacles to getting the testing still we need to make sure just like we have the ability to as doctors to order a test for someone we think has the flu we should not have obstacles of the quote cdc criteria for testing in the way of us doing a correct test on a person those are still in play unfortunately those are still if you go to most health departments in the united states or county hospitals, they're going to say, we're following the CDC criteria. And if the patient doesn't have a fever, cough, shortness of breath, then that person is not going to get tested. Even if a doctor says this person needs to be tested, even if a patient says, I want to be tested, they will be sent away. So uh, we need to remove the the uh, CDC criteria for testing that has been proven to be wrong, false, invalid. Uh, Because if you delay the testing, you delay the treatment.
1: Some of the states are still reporting, like the state of Missouri where we're in, um, they're still reporting the shortage of uh, tests available. They said 25 hospitals out of 150 uh, in Missouri do not have sufficient tests. So where do you... Okay,
0: let me explain. Uh, I'll explain that there's not a shortage of testing ability. So uh, reference labs like... uh, 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 CPL or uh, or a LabCorp or um, there's another large lab that also can do uh, mass testing. They can do tens of thousands of tests a week, but you got to have uh, a setup to do to for a swab to be done to get a specimen. Once a swab is done at a local facility they ship it to the reference lab, and within 48 hours, there's a turnaround of 48 hours on these results. Um, They can do the testing if the swabs are sent, but the first obstacle is many of the county facilities and state facilities are saying you have to meet these criteria, which uh, are um, not valid. Uh, I've been proving uh, with real examples, uh, and other doctors have as well, that someone can have Uh, SARS-2, COVID-19, and not uh, have a fever, cough, and shortness of breath. And uh, and if it's not treated long enough, they could die from it, from the uh, inflammatory process causing multi-organ failure. So the key is early testing.
1: And also, didn't you mention that Uh, The age is not necessarily a criteria because it can be just as deadly for someone of a younger age than it is for an older age.
0: Yes, there was a 13-year-old that died. Uh, There was an 8-year-old that died. These are cases uh, from other countries. Uh, So that's not being um, uh, talked about in our mainstream media uh, and should be. Uh, It's valid information. Uh, We have... uh, in Midland, the first person to die had no comorbidities, had no health problems, was on no medicines, like I mentioned in the last podcast, was extremely healthy, had no cough, fever, shortness of breath, but um, he uh, died. And I believe that what we're seeing happen in uh, New York uh, City, New York City, in uh, Spain, in Italy, uh, in China, is because they're following. The pattern that China has established of uh, we're only going to test and treat the people that are deathly sick. So if you're, and the truth is, most people will not have symptoms. Most people will not get deathly sick. But for those people that are at risk of having an inflammatory process start to be triggered out of control, even if they are young, even if they have no health problems uh, before. Those people need to be tested early and treated early, and they will live more likely if they're treated early. And so I'm telling you a fact. There is unlimited testing possible at the reference labs. The problem is many hospitals are not setting up, and it's a choice to do the testing. And if they do the testing in our, in our city, uh, we have 120,000 population, but they're only set up to do one test at a time from 9 a.m., till 1 p.m. and a uh, Monday through Friday. That's not adequate access to testing. There are some other resources now that have become available for testing. And so thank God for that, because that's helping uh, people get tested earlier and treated earlier. That's the key. And so what we're seeing in South Korea, in Singapore, in Hong Kong, in Iceland, where they've only had 10 people die, in uh, Singapore, they only had 14 people die so far uh, for a whole country uh, where they have open society, open schools, open restaurants, normal freedom of, uh, to, to gather in those in those countries. And in Sweden, uh, they're open city. They're, they're, the people have their personal freedoms and they're able to run their countries and they don't have people dying because they're doing testing, not following the arbitrary CDC criteria. So that means that the people that might die from this are are tested earlier and they're treated earlier. And that's why only 10 people have died in Iceland so far. That's why only 14 people have died in Singapore so far. And so uh, and uh, on the flip side of that, I have a patient who was a lifelong smoker uh, who has had four vessel bypass heart surgery. Who has thyroid disease. She's on a handful of maintenance medicines. She's not a super specimen of perfect health. She was very sick with a lot of symptoms of coronavirus. She had already been swabbed and the test was sent off before I uh, was contacted to be her doctor. But uh, when I started treating her, she immediately started feeling better. She's symptom-free today. And there's an example that even if someone has a lot of symptoms and they're older and they've had heart disease, which is uh, one of the biggest risk factors uh, statistically, or high blood pressure, which she also is being treated for, that doesn't mean it's a death sentence. This is something that can be handled. This is something that should be tested for early, and, there's, and obstacles should be removed to the testing, and obstacles should be removed to the treatment. They are using... Uh, this treatment plan in South Korea. People are being treated in these other countries. And for uh, people to try to shoot down a valid treatment option uh, early is suspicious, at least. And, And to deprive patients from it is a concern. Here's the other problem. If someone is deathly sick, they have a lot of health problems, they end up on a ventilator Right now, hospitals are not allowing family members to even come in the hospital to be their advocate. Families uh, normally are the number one patient advocate, and those are being blocked because of COVID-19 protocols.
1: That's a great point. I'll also say... That's yet another limitation of our freedom.
0: Yes. uh, We are the leaders of the free world. But the reality is there's five nations ahead of us right now in freedom where they can go to school, go to work, go to restaurants, and they can live normal lives. They can visit their grandchildren. They can visit their grandmothers in those five countries, and those countries are not having a disaster. It's because they're uh, not following the CDC criteria. They're not having the limits uh, uh, imposed on them that we are having imposed on us in the United States. I don't think we look as free right now. We don't have the freedom to assemble. We don't have uh, freedom uh, to um, use the public education system that we pay taxes for. And initially, we were all, the only information we had was information out of China. And based on that information that came initially out of China, we were told we needed to follow a certain treatment plan and strategy. And that treatment plan has failed in Italy, Spain, New York City. A different treatment strategy that is being followed from the beginning in those five countries of Singapore, Iceland, Sweden, South Korea, and Hong Kong is working. And those people are free. We need to follow that uh, treatment strategy, that testing strategy, and we need to have our freedom restored.
1: So now, uh, as the states are preparing to return, reopen their economies and return to normal lives, what advice do you have for people of how they can protect themselves, what precautions they can take?
0: So, you know, the reality is it is a respiratory viral infection. And you get that through respiratory droplets in the air, usually, from someone coughing, sneezing, talking close to you. But the reality is now it is widespread in the United States and around the world and may have been out here and been spread from before January uh, at this point. And so uh, we know it's widespread. Uh, Number one, you don't have to be afraid. Uh, There is unlimited testing. If you uh, contact your doctor and he's your advocate, as he should be, he should be able to help you get early testing if you start to have a new symptoms of fever, cough, shortness of breath, or um, new GI symptoms that are not normal for you, because fifty uh, percent of uh, COVID nineteen patients have uh, GI symptoms. So if you have some new symptoms, seek medical help from a doctor you can trust, and then that doctor uh, should test you. Um, and if he uh, and he can test you, the the swabs can be sent to a ref- uh, to a reference lab. There are hospitals in West Texas that are, are able to send unlimited amounts to um, the reference labs. It's possible to do testing. And then if, in the meantime, treat the, uh, treat, uh, the potential uh, disease. We call that empiric treatment. Empiric treatment is not a new idea. We use best medical judgment. We use common sense. And we say, if it looks like a horse, sounds like a horse, it's probably a horse, and, and we use common sense in medicine this is this is part of medic, uh, sound medical care to not wait and let someone get sicker if there's a potential treatment that could save a person from dangerous sequelae dangerous bad outcomes that could be avoided by early treatment and so early testing and early treatment is available there are a lot of options uh, uh, that are being discussed but the two medicines that President Trump recommended have antiviral activity that's been well documented in medical journals from the NIH to the Virology uh, magazine to uh, worldwide magazines. And so uh, people can be encouraged. Don't be in fear. If you're a Christian, uh, Psalm 91 makes it very true, very plain, that God offers a promise. If you'll read Psalm 91, he not only protects you from the plague or the pestilence, which this would fall under the line of a plague, and President Trump called it a plague. It is a plague, uh, but it also protects you from terror, uh, the terror that stalks.
1: That's uh, a great in, point.
0: In Psalm ninety-one, so Christians have promises. Those God keeps His promises, uh, and you know, and He also meets our needs in a practical way. He told Joseph store up practical tangible food for people because there's going to be a famine. There are provisions. We're not without help. We're not without hope. The good news is uh, the illusion that this was a disease with an extremely high mortality rate is has been disproved by the statistics that are now coming out five months later. Uh, real studies out of Stanford, out of Los Angeles County, out of Iceland, and around the world now are showing that uh, this is widespread Uh, we've probably all been exposed to it at some point or we will be in the near future and we don't have to hold our breath that we got a death sentence this is not this is starting to look like it's on the level uh, as far as a death rate mortality rate uh, as the flu and nobody's scared of the flu in general uh, so you need to look at it that way it doesn't act like the flu it is not the flu but there are people that are recovering, and I have patients, every one of the patients that I've overlapped with has recovered. And and, that, and the key is early testing, early treatment.
1: What do you think about the antibody testing?
0: So anti- antibody testing is out now. Uh, most of the tests are made in China. And so uh, I, I have an opinion now about uh, stuff that comes out of China medically. But uh, the, if someone has Ig, there are five classes of antibodies, G-M-A-D-E. G, uh, M antibodies show that you have an acute that you've just gotten exposed and your body's starting to build an immune response to what you've been exposed to. So if you have a positive IgM test to COVID nineteen, SARS two, then that means that you're in the acute stage. You have recently been exposed and your body is just now mounting an immune response to it. Uh, Antibodies are what our body makes. The second test that's out is IgG. IgG antibodies show that you have now established an immunity to this virus. You've been exposed to it in the past. It doesn't say how far in the past. Uh, So some of the tests that are coming out now have IgG and IgM on a fast test that is done in 15 minutes. They, they do a finger stick, they put some blood on this test, and it can show in 15 minutes if you have IgG or IgM. If you have both IgG and IgM, if you have IgM, then you have recently been exposed, you might be contagious. You're in the acute uh, reaction to it. If you have uh, a negative IgM and a positive IgG, then that shows that you have been exposed to it in the past and you are not in the acute stage. There is a test also out there that says that it is only for IgG. That shows that you've been exposed to it, but it doesn't tell if you're in that um, window of opportunity where you still might be contagious and you might be transitioning from the acute infection of IgM to IgG. So that test is not very useful, although there are doctors that are now using it in their offices and there may be hospitals coming out with that. We need to know if someone's contagious. I think personally, the best test is the swab in the throat or the nose that's looking for the virus itself. Because if it's there, then it could, then you are contagious. And if it's not there, then you're not contagious. And at some point later on, at this point, it's, a, it's, a, it is available. You could check and see if you have IgM, IgG. And if you have a negative IgM and a positive IgG, then you have been exposed and you're no longer contagious. And so there's the value in that test.
1: And my final question is, do you think this virus can be eradicated completely?
0: So here's an interesting thing. Uh, we had a novel respiratory viral infection that we were supposed to be very afraid of, according to the CDC, in 2009. That was called swine flu, H1N1. And it, had, it was acting in a way that most viruses don't act. And uh, we were supposed to be afraid, but we did not shut down our economy we did not tell everyone to shelter in place. We didn't tell people that were healthy that they should be quarantined, uh, which is not medically sound. Uh, and uh, you know what? Our country survived it just fine. If someone started to have a problem with that, we have medications and we have medical therapy and uh, plans that we can use. That, is, uh, that has come around again. That was 2009 and in 2020. The virus, the flu virus that is going around uh, for the winter of 2019, 2020 is h one n 109 literally the exact same virus. And you know what? You don't hear the CDC talking about it this time. And uh, you don't hear about how how people are dropping like flies from the flu. Why is that? Why are they not talking about it if it was such a big deal in 2009 and it's come around again? this will probably, we have coronaviruses that have been around, thousands of coronavirus strains that have been around for a long time. And uh, this particular strain uh, is is new, it's novel, just like H1N1 was a novel virus. Uh, I, we may see uh, another uh, wave of uh, uh, SARS-2 COVID-19 coming around, but if you test for it, and we should have a rapid test for it from this point forward, Uh, doctors can do. If someone comes in with a a cough, fever, sore throat, uh, and shortness of breath, we could do a strep test. We could do a flu test. And we should, from now on, be able to do a COVID-19 SARS-2 test. And if they test positive for that, then we treat it early. And we should not have barriers to the quick testing in the future. And so we don't have to be afraid in the future, as long as our our economy continues to stand and our country is uh, allowed to make sound medical decisions, and we don't have interference between doctors and their patients, who are the two entities that should be involved in the medical decision-making, we will be just fine. We've been fine in other situations.
1: Sounds like a great plan to me. Thank you so much, and best of luck to you in that war with COVID-19 that you're fighting on the front lines.
0: I'm not afraid anymore, Helen, and no no one else should be either.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this episode. I believe that Dr. Bartlett has a very solid plan, and I hope that it will be implemented by more physicians and hospitals all across the country. I agree with him wholeheartedly. We do not need to fear. God gives us all the resources that we need to win this battle. If you enjoy... Limitless Spirit Podcast. I want to encourage you to consider supporting us. These episodes do cost money to produce, not a whole lot of money. We spend normally about $85 per episode. Um, There is a link in the show notes. This link is rfwma.org slash forward give. And you can click on it and send us a donation or even consider sponsoring us on a monthly basis. We definitely appreciate uh, whatever the amount that you can uh, donate to sponsor us. Also, tune in for the next episode. We will talk about the problem with depression during COVID-19 who is at risk, and how we can help our loved ones and prevent unnecessary tragedies. Until next time.
0: Thanks for listening to Limitless Spirit with Helen Todd, produced by World Missions Alliance. Are you ready to step out of your comfort zone? Do you have a passion to help people and share your faith across the globe? Visit our website, rfwma.org, and get involved in the Great Commission through short-term missions. We hope you'll leave a review and check out other episodes. We'll be with you in a week on our next episode of Limitless Spirit.